This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. According to the book of Matthew... Jesus gave his grand commission, directing his disciples to make disciples of all nations. Today, missionaries are doing just that. Whether the inner cities, deserts, or remote villages, they spread the good news of Christ's redemption. Missionary work is not just carried out by pastors, but also by deaconesses who play an important role. One such deaconess is Cheryl Nauman, who, with her husband, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Nauman, is based in the Dominican Republic. Deaconess Cheryl Nauman discusses her mission work and the challenges facing the church in the region in today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Late Monday, attorneys general from several states and several other organizations, including the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, filed a friend of the court brief urging the Supreme Court of the United States to hear arguments in the case of Aaron and Melissa Klein. In October, First Liberty Institute and Boyden Gray and Associates filed a petition asking the courts to reverse the state of Oregon's decision that forced Aaron and Melissa out of business by penalizing them $135,000 for refusing using to create a government-approved message. States on the Attorney's General Brief include Texas, Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Louisiana, Nebraska, Nevada, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and West Virginia. In its brief, the State Attorneys General argue, in their words, government power to order individuals to speak in a manner that violates their conscience is fundamentally at odds with the freedom of expression and tolerance for a diversity of viewpoints that this nation has long enjoyed enjoyed and promoted. A recent CNN poll revealed widespread anti-Semitism and ignorance in the Holocaust in Europe. The poll, released on Monday, found that more than a quarter of Europeans think Jews have too much power in business and finance. Roughly 20% of those surveyed said that Jews have too much influence in the media and too much influence in politics. Almost a quarter of those polled also said that Jews had too much influence in wars. While alarmingly high percentages of Europeans hold these beliefs, a third of them also said they knew little or nothing at all about the Holocaust. CNN noted that a lack of Holocaust knowledge is particularly striking among young people in France. One out of five people there between the ages of 18 and 34 said they'd never heard of it. Also in Austria, Hitler's birthplace, 12% of the young people surveyed said they'd never heard of the Holocaust. 40% of the Austrian adults said they knew just a little about the Holocaust. CNN also pointed out that America Americans, particularly younger Americans, also struggle with knowledge of the Holocaust. In another recent survey, 10% of American adults and 1 in 5 millennials said they were not sure they'd even heard of the Holocaust. In addition, in addition, half of the millennials surveyed could not name a concentration camp. Irish nurses and midwives have called on the Irish government to protect their freedom of conscience following legalization of abortion in the Republic of Ireland. The group, Nurses and Midwives for Life Ireland, presented a petition November the 27th to the Irish Health Minister, Simon Harris, signed by 350 registered nurses and midwives. In it, they asked Harris to ensure that they are not forced to participate in abortion procedures when they are introduced to the country's health care system. World Lutheran News Digest will be 
back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Este é Notícias Luteranas pelo Mundo. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Deaconess Cheryl Nauman, who has a remarkable story and is a very special person to the LCMS. She serves as a missionary to the Dominican Republic and uh, throughout really the entire Caribbean, Caribbean region. And you've got quite a lot of responsibilities. What is it that you do, actually? Well, thanks for having me with you this afternoon, Kip. It's a joy to be here. I I do have a variety of things that I'm involved with, as you say. Uh, to begin with, I administer uh, or coordinate, collaborate uh, with everything that happens at the Mercy Center in the Dominican Republic in the city of Palmera Riba. The Mercy Center is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Was paid totally for. T paid totally by uh, LWML Mites two years ago, and we just dedicated it in October. We have a variety of activities there, uh, from educational seminars and activities uh, to mercy, d disaster response training, all sorts of various things that would help us connect with the community. The basic idea, of course, is basic is to provide human care in close proximity to word and sacrament ministry. Now, something that occurs to me, the, the Dominican Republic is uh, overwhelmingly Catholic, according to the World Factbook I looked up today, about mm -hmm. 95% Catholic. How do we reach out to them as Lutherans? Well, that's a good question. The state church is uh, considered to be Roman Catholic, and yet it's not the kind of Roman Catholicism that we would think is uh, straight by the book in the sense that although they would teach their theology, uh, like many different places perhaps in this country too, they don't necessarily teach the Bible, but also they've been allowed to embrace superstition, witchcraft, magic, and maybe even a little voodoo here and there. Really? So what we've got is a very watered-down, legalistic, and spiritually frightening culture. And when people hear the truth of the gospel as preached by our pastors in the Lutheran Church, it's a very freeing gospel. It's a very freeing message because when they hear the truth, the truth sets them free. Well, as Lutherans, you know, we know our, the we're justified through faith. All right. And, you know, the, the high, really the only, the only authority is Scripture. Yes. And so this is the message that we, we convey to a people who are, actually from what you're saying, there, there is a lot of superstition. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there anything that we have to do over and above 
tell them the truth? Because you know the the the, the, the Catholic Church has been involved there for a long time. So has the uh, the native animist religions back from the old uh, from the old days, and they have a lot of tradition to overcome. Are they resistant to this? Well, I think the first thing we have to go back to is that the power of God's word okay. is uh, sufficient in itself. The Holy Spirit works very powerfully through God's word. So when people hear the word of God and they hear the truth. Um, again, they they are very relieved by the truth, and uh, their lives are changed. I think there are some some ways, interestingly, that uh, were welcomed by society because of the way the Catholic Church is. For example, we baptize children, we confirm uh, people, baptize children and adults, we confirm mm-hmm. people, we marry them, all without charging them. Uh, a lot of money, which is not the case with the Catholic Church there. They charge for everything, and we've heard uh, time and again that um, people haven't afforded to be able to have their child baptized or don't get married because they can't afford to get really married. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, it's mind-boggling. It is, yeah. And so that puts us in good light compared to them. Um, also, um, there, are, uh, there are places where they're short on priests, so we might have a uh, opportunity, for example, to teach in during the religion hour in a public school and of course we won't just teach religion or the catholic doctrine we'll be just teaching straight from the bible and certainly the catholics can't refute that absolutely (laughs) (laughs) what else do we do down there i mean you know preaching the word preaching the gospel that is of course the grand commission Mm -hmm. Uh, but also the idea that we are justified through faith frees us to do work right Mercy work and, mm-hmm. and medical work, all sorts of things like that. How, how do we do that down in the DR? What are the, uh, some of the projects that we're involved in? Well, a lot of our work, of course, is new, remembering that our synod's only been in this country for about 10 years. Mm. And God has blessed it immensely with, with five mission congregations, a seminary, a mercy center, a, a group orphan home, and you know preaching stations and other things. But So we are still researching how the best ways are to, for example, serve the deaf community while bringing Christ to them as well, particularly serving the disabled community. We have something called Amigos de Jesus, which is Friends of Jesus at mission congregations and in communities. This is a, an area that the Synod actually started with uh, our work there uh, originally, and then, of course, our, our other work grew out of it well uh, there's a lot i know for example uh, um, medical mercy missions i don't know if mm-hmm. we've been sending them to the dr or not uh, and of course then there's uh, you're right up hurricane alley down there in the right in the caribbean yes. and of course we've we've been very active in hurricane relief throughout that entire area mm-hmm. uh hopefully so in the dr as well yes actually uh ross johnson and mike meyer have been down to the mercy center and mm. we've had a couple of uh, disaster response training events there, which have been very helpful. Uh, the people in both in the neighborhood, for example, in Palma Riba, is along with the missionaries. Last year, during uh, the middle of those two hurricanes, where one of them actually touched down in Puerto Rico and brought a lot of rain and wind to us, uh, our people got together there and were instrumental in putting together a lot of bags with rice and beans and oil and bleach and that sort of thing that were handed out in the community to those that were particularly vulnerable at that time. Something that's impressed me in the past uh, when I speak to to missionaries uh, is that when there is a relief effort, 
the idea being that the relief effort isn't just aimed at Lutherans. We help the community. Yes, absolutely. And that has attracted a lot of attention as to what it is that we as Lutherans do. As I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. of course, we're justified by faith. So right. we have the freedom exactly to, yeah. to set this kind of example and bear witness with our lives. I think one of the important things that certainly in our region we make it a point to do is to explain we're doing this for you. We're loving you because God first loved us. Yes. And there's more beyond getting this bag. You know, we've got this nifty uh, yellow disaster response thing on it with our synod's symbol, and it says humanitarian aid from the Lutheran Church. It's written in Spanish. And they know who we are, and they know that we stick around. They know that we're not charging them money for these things, that we're not trying to get a vote from them or whatever else, but that we're actually there to love them in the name of Christ. And they know, too, that there's something more to it than just getting this food. There's uh, a church up there, and there's a school up there, and there's more information about what God is doing, has already done for you through Jesus Christ. And and we're showing this love. Yes. And they're responding to it. They realize that what we're saying is true. Many of them do. When the Holy Spirit uh, gives them faith through the Word, absolutely they understand that. And then they also want to be giving back to the community. I can think of one man in in particular who was an Uber driver and who now can't wait to uh, give rides to missionaries to and from the airport and so forth and and many times just wants to give of his services as a gift back to those who brought the word of Christ to him. Have you seen much in the way of conversion? Are are people... You know, we mentioned that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, they they hear the truth and they're interested in that. Are they converting... Uh, if by converting you mean that they're becoming Christian, I think the answer is yes. Even even adults, even people who haven't been in church before. And are they becoming actual Lutherans as well? Or yes. Is that the, okay. I mean, it's the same thing as everywhere. Not every story ends happily. You ask people, you witness to, you ask people to go to church or to look at the mm-hmm. Bible with you. You read with them. You tell them what God means to you, who He is, who the Trinity uh, is, and then you must rely on God's Word actually to do the, the work. The, the most wonderful thing is when you can get them to church and they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing a sermon, and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. I've never heard anything like this before. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, my own, uh, my own pastor is, uh, was actually a, raised a Catholic. Okay. Yeah, there <laughs> and, you go. And he said much the same thing mm-hmm. when he became a Lutheran, is that it really, it really opened his eyes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the Dominican Republic itself. I suspect a lot of Americans really know very little about that country. Mm-hmm. Well, the number one industry is actually tourism. So all along the coast of the DR, there are beautiful resorts, and there are a lot of people that go there for vacation from the U.S., but also from Europe. Uh, I've often heard of people going to Punta Cana, for example, to get married even. So um, that's the number one industry. I believe the number two industry is uh, tobacco, so Cuba's the island next to us. They are the f- number one exporters of cigars. I think we're probably number two. There's a lot of other uh, things like uh, sugar cane and, um, well, uh, just a lot of different fruit and, and things like that, that that people work in. The people, uh, of course, Christopher Columbus landed there in 1492, and he was the one that brought the Catholic faith to the island. The Spanish 
settled that part of the island. Of course, Haiti shares the island of Hispaniola with the Dominican Republic, and the French settled mm -hmm. that side of the island. So they're really two quite distinct countries. What are some of the difficulties facing the Dominican Republic? Well, of course, as a Christian, I would say the number one is the spiritual darkness. Huh. They're very they're spiritual people in the sense that they know that there is a God and there is something out there and that they want to be with God, but they don't really know how to do it uh, unless they have really understood the Christian message in the Bible. The second problem I would have to say would, would be poverty, um, worrying or um, living day to day, basically, um, hand to mouth and not really knowing how to save up for the future. Um, another thing that we deal with is illiteracy. It's not a reading culture. And so uh, without people being able to read, it is also difficult them, for them to self-motivate to um, read devotions or read the Bible, and especially if they've been taught, if they, if they are churchgoers and have been taught that all they need to do is listen to the Catholic priest talk or preach. Well, I've also noticed that you do a lot of translation work. I, I, I administer the translation work, okay. yes. Uh -huh. Okay, because this is one thing as I was thinking of, as you just brought up, that it's not a reading culture. Well, this is one way to get them to read, if it's to carry exactly. out. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just reading a, an interesting article where, you know, in China, they're having a huge crackdown on, uh, on Christians. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is illegal in China to sell a Bible, but it's not illegal to sell the Lutheran small catechism. Ah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a wonderful supply of those from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, and they're, they're doing great work that, uh, you know, collaborates with us. Yeah. Well, explain a little bit about the work that the Lutheran Heritage Foundation does does with the uh, with the missionaries. Well, uh, for example, I mean, we use their products, and so they've just come out with a wonderful Spanish edition of the children's uh, garden garden of prayer, or garden of stories. I can't remember what the exact title is, but those, that is a wonderful tool for us to give to children and to get books into the homes as well, and to give the children something in addition to uh, Luther's small catechism. To work with, one of one of the other things that I am doing at the moment is directing the VDMA project, and that's that actually stands for some Latin words that means the word of the Lord endures forever. This is a wonderful project because it was discovered that our missionary missionaries or uh, indigenous pastors in the, the lands where we have missions in Latin America, which is many countries, uh, had an average of five theological books. So a project was designed, really before I came to the field, but then I took it over when I came to the field, to provide a, an e-reader or a Kindle to the pastors in all of these different countries. And we would then proceed to translate from English into Spanish good theological books, good Lutheran theological books, chosen uh, by seminary professors, pretty much, uh, that pastors should have when they go out into the parish. How so, many uh, how many pastors do we have in the Dominican Republic? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, we have certainly two indigenous men and others studying. We have the seminary where we have men from many different Latin American countries, and we have several missionary pastors, one at each of our five uh, missions, along with two indigenous men at our missions. But there are several pastors on the ground doing various jobs, church, from church planting to 
evangelism along with our seminaries. Now, is this seminary students? I mean, now is this uh, it's a Lutheran church in the DR? Is this solely LCMS, or is there now a uh, companion body of a, a local? No, there is no Lutheran Church of the Dominican Republic yet. The Missouri Synod is, to my knowledge, the only Lutheran church there, and uh, these are all mission congregations, like in many other of our. Countries in Latin America, we have what we call emerging sister synods. These are places where we have Missouri Synod missionaries. And we are hoping that uh, as time goes by, we'll work ourselves out of a job. They'll become self-supporting, self-sufficient, and sister synods instead of children's synods to us. And we already have some uh, bodies like that that are our sister synods, such as in Brazil and Argentina, that are um, certainly very strong synods, all the more so because they started out with a seminary from mm. the from the inception of the uh, the synod, inception of the uh, missionary work there, and that's the same thing that's been done in the Dominican Republic. Now our seminary is in its second year of existence. I mean something else that also strikes me: uh, you uh, you are visible and you are very much in the front lines down in the Dominican Republic in this work. Yes, the fact that you are a woman. Mm-hmm. That is, shows that you're entrusted with very, very important theological work here. Does this resonate with the uh, population down there, where the women are, as I understand the culture and, and, and the faith, are really somewhat bypassed normally? I'm wondering if you are perhaps being hmm. an example. I don't think that I'm doing anything that... Um, hmm. <laughs> Let me put it this way. All that I do in terms of translation work and theological work is directed by a pastor or a committee of of, uh, professors. So I don't choose which theological books are translated. Yeah, no, that I understand. But I'm saying that you're the the face that they see and the voice that they hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I don't know if they look at it like that. I think they they know that I'm doing the admin behind uh, contracting those who are to be translating, um, getting the getting the product to the publishing house that owns the copyright, making sure that they get it to Amazon so that we can buy it and send it out. That I can send it out through my um, admin page to all of the pastors in all of those 22 different countries. Um, but I think locally, with the local women, with the deaconesses, that's a different story. I think that there's room for the Missouri Synod deaconesses to be great examples and mentors to the local deaconesses, which is what we try to do. And uh, that might take any form or shape, visiting together, um, walking the streets together, just talking together, talking about the Bible together, talking about how to take care of the altar in the church, discussing church life. One deaconess I spoke to several years ago uh, had been working in East Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was a Christian community, but the culture was such that it discouraged the women from talking to men uh-huh. like the pastor. And this is where the deaconess came in, where the, where there was no cultural difficulty with them talking to the deaconess about problems that, that their husband or the family would disagree with them mm-hmm. going to the, to the pastor. Is this uh, similar in the DR? You're talking about between women and women? Yes. Yes, yeah, I, sure. I think that... Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that women wouldn't go to the pastors there to talk, but certainly there is a, a very important niche for deaconesses in ministering to women who are having problems, especially in a, in a culture where domestic violence is a problem and where teenage pregnancy is a problem. One of the things that I'm interested in doing with the Mercy Center is getting a program 
out into the community after I research exactly what the community needs are that uh, is called the woman's cycle of life and helps women know how to take care of their babies, about vitamins, about nutrition, and their own bodies, and uh, especially in a culture where, as I said, teenage pregnancy is a problem and um, women maybe do have to work a little harder than than other places to yeah. yeah as you said domestic violence where mm-hmm. you know lutheranism a, a lutheran man cannot right cannot yeah. <laughs> harm a woman mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's just uh, I, it's just it, it, the concept is just alien to me there are some cultural differences of course and that's part of getting to know the life and having some field orientation when you get there mm-hmm. well what can people do to help support your ministry well, the number one thing would be to pray for us. We just uh, treasure the prayers of people for ourselves, for all the missionaries, the team, and especially for those people who are hearing about Christ for the first time. They can also uh, encourage us by going to our Facebook page called Nauman's in Latin America, taking a look at our pictures, writing us notes, encouraging us that way. And of course, uh, we can only be in the field because of the generous donations that individuals, congregations, ladies' guilds, whomever are willing are, are able and willing to give to support us and if that if someone wanted to do that they could very easily do that by either phoning the Missouri Synod donor line or they could uh, go online and go to www.lcms.org backslash Jonathan.nauman or of course they could send a check to the Missouri Synod made out to the LCMS noted that it is to go into the mission fund of Cheryl and Jonathan Nauman in the Dominican Republic. This has been a fascinating discussion. You know, you've highlighted some problems I wouldn't have quite thought of. For example, the spiritual poverty and the uh-huh. and the infiltration of uh, of really pagan beliefs in in what should be a Christian country. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so here we are fulfilling the Grand Commission once again. You know, the we are justified. We don't have to appease these other things. They right. Don't, yeah. and not our ancestors, not the, not any witch doctors, not anybody who might harm us, but uh, we're safe in the arms of Jesus. Okay, Deacon Cheryl Nauman, I want to thank you so much for being on the program and, and sharing your experience. This is truly an inspirational story. Thank you, Kip. It was a pleasure. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.